This is Robert Wilson, and you are listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast. Podcast. My name is Matt Boisclair and welcome to our review of the 2019-20 season. The journey began in defeat in August 2019 at Oakwell, but 23 league wins, 12 draws and the championship golden boot for Alexandra Mitrovic's 26 league goals later, the Whites qualified for the playoffs where we firstly disposed of Cardiff City in the semi-final, then defeated Brentford in the playoff final to gain promotion back to the Premier League at the first time of asking. Joining me to look back at a selection of memories of a season that took over a year to complete, a Baldo, Stato, Maud and Matt Dom. So let's go. Fulham. All right, guys. So first of all, we're going to look at our best performance of the season. Morgs, talk to me. OK, so my performance of the season has gone to the uh, first leg of the semi-final. Cardiff away, 2-0. Everything about that performance I thought was brilliant. I thought the fact that we were under so much pressure going into those playoffs, because not only had we just, you know, only just missed out on automatic, we were in these and obviously looking at Brentford, they were kind of our biggest threats, but we had to get through this first hurdle. And the way we went out and controlled the game, just we made it look like a home game and performance they put in was absolutely perfect. And I'll come to another game uh, soon, but the the way he outthought Neil Harris in that one was in pretty much the same way that he'd been outthought uh, in previous games. And Scott Parker, obviously, and yeah, it just uh, I looked at that and I was like, that is the best performance given the situation and everything that we put in all season. Yes, mate. Very difficult to disagree with that. What about you, Stato? So I've picked a match that. Although it wasn't one of our most glamorous results, I thought it was a very good performance given the circumstances. And it was our home game against QPR. Now, for us, Group of Fulham Focus, it was also the moment when we all had a good meet-up and uh, Baldo had a questionable moment in spoons involving a bowl of chips. Right, um, hold on, hold on, hold on. I need to clarify <laughs> this. I need to clarify this. Because it's been a, basically everyone here has been to Weatherspoons and everyone listening has been to Weatherspoons. You know the situation when you order on the app because you don't want to go to the bar because it's a thousand people deep. And you always get a receipt whenever you whenever you get your food. But basically the food was taking so long to turn up that I, I'd ordered a bowl of chips. It was taking so long. So I thought oh, I'll order another bowl of chips just to keep me through it. And basically the first bowl of chips came up, but I wanted a receipt to know if it was the first bowl of chips I got or if it was the second bowl of chips and they missed the first one out. You see where I'm coming from. Basically, I just wanted to know if I needed a refund or if I had to wait around another two hours for my bowl of chips. That was basically it. I think I was well within my right to complain about that. I think I was. In can, can we just cla- can we just car- clarify for anyone who's not met Bowler? You are a bit of a fat bastard. <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, there, there's no deny. I'm ninety percent sure I'm the largest or heaviest person on the group. So yes, chips by all means. But yeah, I think I was quite with him. I didn't pull a Karen, as it were, because I was within my right to complain there. Anyway, I've interrupted Stato. Please do continue. <laughs> can I just say, without the backstory, 
sorry, without the backstory, all that actually happened was um, Baldwin got some chips to deliver to the table and he shouted <laughs> at a waiter. <laughs> That's, That's what it was. was. Yes, but then without context, context it, it just terrible. sounds weird. <laughs> he, um, he also bought his own milk as well to Weatherspoons. Yes, this is true. Anyway, so don't trust the portion sizes. Moving on, <laughs> we'll get we'll get back to football matters now. Um, so yeah, after spoons, we went to watch a football game at Craven Cottage, where uh, Fulham won two one, and it was just after the international break, and we did have Alexander Mitrovic. He was suspended, and there's a lot of worry going around about how would we cope without Mitrovic. This is kind of what, the first games without him in a while. And we played Abubakar Kamara up front and he put in probably one of his best performance, scoring a brace and meaning we won 2-1. It's also one of the first and one of the only games, few games this year, where we won after going a goal behind because obviously we conceded after three minutes. So it's one of the few games where we've actually managed to respond well and get the win. And also it's nice to just always win against QPR. So yeah, that was that's my performance of the season so far. Well, just performance of the season. Good stuff, mate. I'll, I'll come in next because um, I'm going to say a really good performance of the season was Middlesbrough at home, particularly in the first half. Um, it was another Friday night game and we were unbeaten in Friday night games throughout the season and we did have quite a few of them. Again, Mitrovic was suspended and our record without Mitro ended up being played 8-1-6, drawn 1 and lost 1. Um, Anthony Knockout scored the only goal of the game six minutes in. And we just looked really good. We had 62% possession, 17 shots, and Middlesbrough had zero shots on target throughout the whole game. Um, yeah, we, we just looked outstanding in that first half, and I was I was really impressed with this. Um, Dom, what about you? Well, I mean, it's got to be Tuesday, August the 4th, 2020. You all know the night. That's right. It's J-Mac making his glittery... Flirty appearance on Holby City. Uh, forget about the football for a minute. And we're going to talk about a lot about football on this uh, football podcast, I think, in the next uh, hour or so. But um, I just want to take a moment to c- congratulate our boy J-Mac on his uh, wonderful appearance, flirting with that doctor on Holby City. So well done, mate. His BAFTA winning performance, I think I think, I think. think it's fair to say at this stage. <clears throat> Nominations yeah, agreed, aren't even in agreed. there, but I'm sure it's BAFTA winning. Sure. Well, come on then, Baldo. What about you? Um, personally, I'm a bit, uh, for my performance of the season, I'm amazed uh, Mr. Stato didn't grab this because it was our 4-0 victory over Millwall and it was and it was one of those nights that was packed with statistics. In fact, I've just gone back and looked at, um, just gone back and looked at the um, report from the night, you know, the record breakers, because we broke a couple of records that night. Um, 89% possession, um, 934 completed passes for a 94% success rate. Um, Matt Art is nursing a semi, just hearing all these stats, I'm sure. Um, and then this little paragraph, to put that 934 figure into context, it's more successful passes than three fellow championship sides have managed throughout all their four opening fixtures. Now, you know, I'm not a, I'm a fan who likes this ticky-tacker, pass the ball along the back 5,000 times before you pass it forward, folks. But I just thought it was very impressive just to see what we what we are capable of. And it was, you know, it was parkable, but it was entertaining at the same time because we managed to get four goals out of it rather than scraping a 1-0 somewhere. It shows that if we put our minds to it, we can actually score goals in a bundle. We also beat New Harris as well because he was manager of Millwall at the time, wasn't he? I'll take your word for that. My my knowledge of when the managers departed and took over, I, yeah, I assume so. 
I was going to well, you're the stat man, so you must know. That that sounds like a fact. Well, that was one of that was one of the things, wasn't it? It was the fact that we always beat Neil Harris's teams. That was uh, one of the big things they were making in the playoffs. I was going to say, except for the second leg. Thankfully, you got away with that. Yeah, one. but moral victory. Perhaps a little less uh, eating chips, mate, and a bit more paying attention. Yeah, stand you in good stead. Anyway, some excellent performances. Over, uh, chips over stats any day of the week. <laughs> some other good performances of the season that we shortlisted were Marit Rodak's performances against both Swansea and Derby County away. Um, obviously, the playoff final, which we'll probably mention in this show, I should imagine, at some point. Also, the uh, 4-1 win at Reading and the 3-0 home victory against Derby. All notable, excellent performances this season. All right, guys, we're going to come on to goal of the season. Dom, I'm going to come to you first. What was uh, what was your goal of the season this season? I'm giving it to uh, Josh Onema, uh first leg against Cardiff in the semi-finals. Uh, I mean, this is a difficult category. We scored an absolute ton of screamers this season. Um, for me, it's kind of a different type of individual brilliance, really. Josh Onema, his mazy run uh, to unlock Cardiff, who had been defending pretty well up to that point. Um, Steps inside Sean Morrison, bangs it into the bottom corner and sets us on our way. Absolutely superb goal. And I think it's uh, going to be hard to beat that one. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go for something a little bit different. I've gone for Bobby Reed's goal against Huddersfield at the Cottage. Um, it was the first goal in a 3-2 win. There was a cross-field ball from Michael Hector. Bobby Reed took it down on his chest on the on the left wing. He beat his man, beat another defender on the edge of the box and then put it across the keeper into the top corner. Um, quality finish. Um, few and far between from Bobby Reed this season. As I said, it was a 3-2 win. Tom Kearney got the second, Mitro got the third. And Huddersfield got a, a couple of scrappy goals back before half-time. So we were 3-2 up at half-time and that's that's how the game finished. And that game ended uh, ended up leaving us three points behind Leeds, Leeds United in third place after 30 games. So... Yeah, really good goal and one that really stands out. Stato, what about you? So, obviously, the Joe Bryan free kick is kind of the elephant in the room for this um, category because you know, just for the impact of the goal and what it meant, it's kind of, by and large, one of the goals of the season. But it's kind of worth looking at all the other good goals we've scored. And the one I've gone for is Cavalero's goal against Huddersfield away, which was our third game of the season. And the reason I've picked this goal is because um, if Mitrovic isn't scoring one of his 26 goals, we are mainly just scoring bangers outside the box. And this is probably one of the first ones of the season. And, you know, we came off the back of having a rubbish season in the Premier League and then we lost against Barnsley first game of the season. And then, you know, we kind of started picking up momentum by beating Blackburn with Kearney scoring a world outside the box. But then it was kind of this performance, our first away win of the season and the first time we registered back-to-back wins in what felt like forever. And it came with this just well-taken goal from Cavalero and, you know, just taking it, touching it down inside the box and just cutting in and curling it in. He did it a few times this season, but this was kind of the first example of that and kind of just hoping he can pick up some of that form again going into the Premier League. Yeah, that was definitely the first glimpse that we had of what he could do. And as you say, we, we saw it a few more times that season, uh, in the season as well. Baldo, how about you? Um, I'm personally going for Harry Arter's goal against Aston Villa. 
you know, I've been saying on the podcast many times this season, and I will do next season because something tells me we're going to lose it. But I do like seeing, you know, thunderbolts from outside the box. Something that we showed that we could do towards the last stage of the season, but for some reason, if we'd have done it earlier, we'd see more of. And this is just a perfect example. And the fact that of the teams that I wanted to do badly this season, Brentford were one of them. Aston Villa were by far and away number two. Because ever since that whole playoff final back in 2018, for some reason there seems to be this faux rivalry developing between us, you know, the media with the doing of Fulham and it got developed on social media. So the fact that we managed to beat Aston Villa, who have, you know, we're going to be in forever entwined at that day at Wembley when Tom Kenny scored the winner. Just the fact that we managed to beat them in the process was fantastic. And Harry Arden, you know, what can you say? I think it was, it, am I right in thinking it was one of his first touches? Because I think he'd only just come off the bench and then he takes two touches and then smacks in the top corner. It was a fantastic hit. So I go for that one. Yeah, in terms of um, impact in a game and, you know, the ball flying in the top corner, that, that's definitely up there, even if it was a game that we probably don't really care that much about because it was in the FA Cup, which we never realistically had a, any chance of progressing far in anyway. But yeah, hell of a goal. Morgs. Well, I'm going to go that game as well. But I thought the knockout goal was better than the Arta goal. So just before that, uh, before his strike, he'd done pretty much something the same thing. He cut in and we all know he loves cutting on his left foot. It's the thing he does. But in this case, the build up to it, was great. Great challenge by Joe Bryant on the edge of our box as Villa were attacking. Burst through, lays it off to Knockhart, who's just, you know, on the halfway line. And then he goes on one of his runs. And you could see the determination in his eyes. And he got that. And he hit that so fucking sweetly. And it sailed in. And there was something about that goal that just, it just made me happy. And, you know, obviously his celebration was, you know, run up to the end, celebrated with the sun. I thought, yeah, this is, this is good. I, I like this. And, yeah, maybe there have been better technically sort of technical goals over the season, but there was something about that one that I just really liked. And yeah, so I'm going with Knockout versus Villa for that. Very nice, mate. Very nice. Well, the, the short list of this wasn't particularly short, to be honest, for Fulham goal of the season. There was Kearney versus Blackburn and Kearney versus Wigan with two very similar goals. Kearney's two goals against Reading and Kearney again against Bristol City just before lockdown. Um, Harry Arter against Nottingham Forest um, after the restart and Cyrus Christie against QPR after the restart. Ivan Cavalero's equaliser against Charlton at home earlier in the season. Cavalero versus Millwall earlier in the season where he scored a carbon copy of his goal uh, of the one uh, that he scored against Huddersfield. Cavalero versus Hull away. Knockhart versus West Brom at home, which might have been a cross, might have been a shot. Um, but he, it, it was a nice goal anyway. It was nice to watch. Um, and then you had some of Cabano's goals, you know, his free kicks against Sheffield Wednesday, uh, Wigan and Cardiff. So they're all notable shouts, but um, I, I definitely think we probably picked the best ones out of the bunch. All right, lads, let's come on to best goal celebration or best celebration. I'm going to come to you first, Stato. So the celebration I picked was after the full-time whistle in the second leg of the Cardiff playoff game. and. It's quite an odd choice, but the reason I picked it is because when that full-time whistle went, our celebrations almost seemed a bit muted. Some people might have thought we looked a bit unhappy and a bit angry at the fact that we lost the game. But I really liked it. And the, the reason I liked it is because 
we were we were celebrating, but we also knew that you know the job wasn't done. You know, we we've got we'd beat Cardiff over two legs. We were in the final, but we knew that there was still a game to go at Wembley, and there's almost that focus and there's that determination. You know, from within the team to say, right, we've got one game to go. Let's go and do it. Compared to Brentford, for example, who were bouncing around Griffin Park and their fans were outside the stadium thinking that they'd only gone and done it. And then we all know what happened next. Yeah, it's a shame for him in the end, wasn't it? I, I really did <laughs> feel for him last week. I really, really did. Me? Uh, <laughs> yes, please, mate. Uh, so, yeah, my celebration is uh, Josh Onema for his goal against, um, against Cardiff in that playoff first leg. There, there was something about that. And, you know, I'll go into it in another of the categories as well. But there was something about that celebration, about his, you know, embrace with Parker, with the team racing over everyone together. And it just, it sent tingles down my spine because there was something in that that said, yes, it has been a long, hard slog of a season. It's the most bizarre season any of us have had in our living memory. But there's something here that tells us they will get through this. And they will go up because this team are together. So, and I think that uh, that celebration showed that. And obviously, you could tell the sense of relief. And so, I think because of that, you know, that was my the celebration that really made me made me tingle, if I want a better word. Good man, good man. Well, I'm going to bring it back slightly before we uh, before I come to the others because I know the others have, have got some uh, some later season memories in mind for this. But I'm going to bring it back to to Reading away. As you guys know, I, I live in a little suburb of Reading and I've grown up around here and I've had to put up with Reading fans giving me stick. I say Reading fans, Manchester United fans who get a Reading shirt out whenever Reading are in the Premier League. And I've had to put up with that sort of bullshit for most of my life. So when we played Reading this season, uh, when Tom Kearney scored the fourth goal to put us 4-0 up, I absolutely loved it. J-Mac was there for the game and, um, and when Tom Kearney got the fourth goal, he, he kind of dinked it over the keeper. Mitro closed down a back pass. Johansson squared it to Kearney. Kearney dinked it over the keeper and he was 35 yards out. Then he ran over to the, to the fans. And I know, as I said, J-Mac was in the front row and Kearney slid over on, the, on his knees right in front of him. And then a load of our other players slid over on their knees as well. Um, and it, it, yeah, it was, it was just a good moment. And, and his first goal that night as well, he, he slid over on his knees towards the Reading fans. And I was going to say that one as well, because I'm, I'm quite up for sticking it to the Reading fans as well. So, yeah, that, that, that game that we ended up winning 4-1 was, was a lovely evening back in October for me. All right, let's come on to you, Dom. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's got to be, it's got to be the last game of the season. I'm going to, I'm going to ignore not ignore Joe Bryan, but it's, it's not it's not going to be Joe Bryan for me. It's actually it's actually K Mac. Um, you can rely on him for one thing. It's to get involved in promotion celebrations. I think he's he's the best in the business at that. After after Joe Bryan's free kick, he was a little bit eager to uh, get involved in the celebration, and uh, you can just about see from the the second camera angle of of the celebration that he's starts to make his way down the stairs and then then stacks it down a few of them. Uh, before getting up and then carefully making his way back down. Um, but he, he got there in time, jumped in on the bundle um, and just, just he's, he sort of epitomizes the kind of feel good side of this, uh, this squad, I think. And it was, it was fantastic to see him getting down there to get involved, even though 
he he's barely played since the since the restart really, and and it is great to see that that kind of unity in the squad players. Yeah, hell of an attitude from him this season. To be honest, he he was very much involved two years ago, and and this season he's been on the fringes. But yeah, he, he wanted to get involved with that, and he did. He he slid onto his backside, probably meant to do it, I expect. The backside, of course, with which he scored against Leeds a couple of years ago. Big goal. He did, he did. John Baldo, what about you, mate? Uh, mine also comes from the uh, from the playoff final, unsurprisingly. And, you know, as, as you said, as Dom said, you know, you can always rely on him to be involved in promotion celebration. I think in a much in a similar way, I think this should hopefully become a bit of a routine for any successful Fulham victories over the next year. And that's Dennis Adoy on the crossbar at Wembley. I think it was it was just a bit of a sweet moment because everyone remembers where they were when, when he was doing it at, in 2018, you know, bouncing up, up on the crossbar. Did he do it at the Hammersmith end by any chance when we beat... Uh, Derby in the playoffs. Something in the back of my mind is saying that he did. Um, he, then we, he got carried, didn't he? Lifted up. He got by, carried. That was it. That was. Uh, it. And then it. it was. Then Wembley. He was on the crossbar. And then to then go and do it again against Brentford just brought that little bit of symmetry back to it. And it was one of those moments that even though we weren't there, it, it was a connection. I mean, for the love of God, I hope we don't have to go through another playoff final because that means we would have had to have been relegated for him to do it again. But any famous victories that we get in the past, similar to John Pantel and his lap of honour, maybe this should become a Fulham trademark of Dennis Adoy bouncing up or down on the crossbar. I think I think that's why I'm going for that. Lovely stuff, mate. All right, well, the other notable mentions we've got are Mitro's celebration when he, uh, he did a belly flop after scoring that last-minute goal against Swansea at home, having missed a penalty a couple of minutes earlier. Um, I've got Mitrovic versus Charlton at home when he equalised fairly late on and, and did a bit of a knee slide towards the Hammersmith end. Gentleman Jim's reaction for the, uh, for the goals in the playoff final, always an absolute pleasure to hear. Love listening to Gentleman Jim when we score because it's just how probably we'd all react if we had a microphone in our hand. And also, Junior, the uh, the flag bearer for the uh, for the Riverside stand, um, not necessarily a celebration, but just for being there, waving a flag and being a bit of a character when uh, when the Riverside stand was was still there earlier in the season. Notable mention for him as well. I was going to say, Morgan, you and I were there at that game when he when when the whole Junior thing started. And I must say, it sort of took attention away from the game for about five minutes. No one wanted to know, because it was against Nottingham Forest. No one wanted to yeah. know what was going on in the pitch. <clears throat> Everyone was just fascinated with Junior waving his flag. And I don't think he understood at the time just how big this was going to become. And it, it but became you, a thing you know for... where that was, though, don't you? Go on. But the game was shit. <laughs> 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 and so it was much more fun to it was much more fun to look at the bloke who was looking after the uh the demolition site than it was yeah. watching show wasn't it is uh, Sammy Amiobi or you know Bryce Samba or something like that sort of uh, time so yeah it was quite fun because there was a guy sat there who was minding his own business making sure that no one trespassed on the half destroyed riverside stand and then rather than sort of having to focus on the crap that was in front of us it was like right you're the folks for our attention now. And uh, the legend was born. <laughs> Although he's probably yeah. homeless now because he's got no stand. Yeah, he'll have one soon. Don't you worry about that. That's that's coming along. All right, let's move on. Let's come on to moment of the season. And I'm going to come to you first, Baldo, for this. 
Um, quite simply, and everyone knows how much I love the the sex machine that is J Mac on this podcast. So I think it's only fitting that we give him a special a special mention on here. I just loved it. it was a sort of spur of the moment thing that happened after the playoff final. But his introduction for last week's show, when he read out all the tweets of Brentford fans and you know people saying how Brentford were going to get promoted. And then every, everything about it was beautiful. Those tweets, the music in the background, ever the professional he is, he timed the beats of the music perfectly to it, followed up with Joe Bryan right at the end saying they were going to be scared. That whole podcast introduction. Frenchie, I know I've given you praise for your incredible scripted introductions over the course of the season, and they are. But for me, J-Mac takes it for that. So that's why I'm giving it my moment of the season, just because it's fantastic. You never know. We might even hear that later on in this show as well, if anyone missed it last time. Um, all right, let's come on to Stato. Stato, mate, moment of the season for you. My moment has gone to when Michael Hector f- played his first game for us. And the reason I've picked that is because for so long, we've had a terrible defence. We had a terrible defence in the Premier League. Even under Slav, we won games, but our defence is always a bit dodgy. And then the first half of this season, we were playing with Mawson and Ream and we were kind of scraping by. And Michael Hector's come in and there was a lot of hype around him. There was a lot of kind of pressure on him to deliver. And he came in in his first game and he delivered. And I think everyone watching the game and from that point onwards, just knew that we finally had a good commanding centre-back and that finally our defence was in a good place. First time in a long time we've had a good commanding centre-half, uh, um, yeah, to be honest. Uh, Matt Dom, what about you, mate? Yeah, for me, it's probably an obvious one, but uh, Joe Bryan's second goal. I, I, I just didn't see it coming. I, I was sort of buckled in, ready for another five or so minutes of Parker special, holding on to a lead, last-ditch defending, like, like we were so used to when we went up the first time against Aston Villa, that kind of horrible time standstill, uh, just desperately hoping the ball doesn't go in the net type stuff. But, you know, up goes Joe Bryan to nick his second with a, with a lovely, superb team goal, really. And it was just that combination of relief and joy. And I think I said on the on the post-Wembley show that I was just up in the hallway laughing like a like a maniac. And never has a goal made me laugh as my first reaction. And it was just that that combination of I just couldn't believe it was happening and it was crazy and such a weird combination of feelings that I'm never going to forget. And um, yeah, it, it was all because it it kind of just went the opposite way as I was expecting and it was just wonderful good stuff mate I think it, had we been at Wembley the reaction would have been very different but you kind of you do react differently when you're at home and the the kind of tension's a bit different as well so um, I completely get it yeah I, I was much the same for my moment of the season I'm going to pick a, a slightly strange left field one I'm going to go for Mitrovic's hat-trick against against Luton earlier in the season and um, yeah, it's a strange choice, but I do love a hat-trick. And Mitrovic, if anyone was going to get it, it was going to be him. His first goal, Knockhart won the ball back and played it to Cavalero, squared it to Mitro, and he had no backlift on his shot at all, but he smashed it into the roof of the net. The keeper was just nowhere near it. Um, Bobby Reese set him up for his second one in front of the Hammersmith end, 
and he was right underneath the crossbar. He couldn't miss. Luton got one back, but we won a free kick, probably about 40 yards out, very centrally. Knockhart played it to Joe Bryan, and Joe Bryan's cross was just met by a diving header from Mitro, and he put it in the bottom corner. Superb goal. And Luton did get another one back in injury time, but it's far too late for them by then. And all right, it was it was a 3-2 win against a team that we expected to beat. But I just loved it. I do love seeing a hat-trick. Um, more, talk about you, mate. Moment of the season for you. Well, I put when I was writing this down, I put down Joe Bryan's celebration for a after his first goal uh, against Brentford. But kind of looking at it, the, the thing that really did that for me was the photo that Javier Garcia, our club photographer, took of that moment when he ran up to the touchline to celebrate with Parker and Matt Wells and Stuart Gray. And it's the, obviously, Brian's joy, but the look on Scott Parker's face, he's obviously got that message across to him about the whole David Rea um, positioning thing and it's worked out and it was the most just it's a photo of unbridled joy and there's something about that it's like they know you know from that that they've something that they've just you know worked on has worked out and by that it's you know gotten to the Premier League um, so it kind of in a similar way to the Josh Onimus celebration there's something about this that it is the passion of football coming out in one shot and I think something about that is incredibly special. And <clears throat> obviously, it's a great photo for him to have captured. But I think that's the whole sense of relief and everything coming out of this whole season. So that's why it's my moment of the season. Yeah, good man. I'm, I've got a lot of time for photography and um, I, I, love, I love a still. And yeah, they can capture real moments of emotion. And that, that was definitely one of the best of the season for sure. All right, we're going to move on. We're going to come on to a negative now, most disappointing moment of the season. And I'm going to go first with this one. I'm going to go for when we didn't get a penalty in the last minute of, ex- uh, of injury time against Bristol City at home. We'd have four wins on the bounce in November. We'd won away at Birmingham. Then we'd done QPR and, and Derby at home. And then we'd won away at Swansea. And Bristol City have always been a bit of a bogey side for us. But we nicked a couple of their players. We got Joe Bryan. We got Bobby Reid. So surely this was our time off the back of those results. Um, but Bristol City went into half-time with a 1-0 lead. And then they got a second with 15 minutes to go. Abubakar Kamara pulled one back with four minutes left. And then Cabano came on for Ivan Cavalero with eight minutes to go. And he hit the bar with a header. Then in the 93rd minute, he was absolutely booted up into orbit. Uh, the only person in the stadium not to think it was a penalty was the referee. And the Hammersmith end, we were just all on our feet. Penalty, surely this is it, this is it. We're going to get a point out of this. And the referee just wasn't interested. And it was it was clear as day, it was such a penalty. And, you know, this sort of thing happens all the time. But, you know, you all, all the um, all the pundits afterwards all said it was a penalty. And I, I did really feel hard done by after that. Um, and, and I felt like we, we absolutely deserved a point at the bare minimum in that game, for sure. But let's come to you, Baldo, your most disappointing moment of the season. Uh, mine would have to be Brentford away for, for a number of reasons. A, the performance that day was absolutely shocking. B, it was those bastards. Three, this was... I was watching this game um, in Pittsburgh with, with a very good friend of mine on Twitter, uh, Sarah Schneider, who I know listens to the podcast. Hello, Sarah. Sorry about the Penguins. Um, 
Um, and it was the first time I'd ever watched a Fulham game, I think, that early in the day. Because the game kicked off at 10 o'clock in the morning. And, of course, the game finished at 12. So my day was ruined before the before it even hit midday. So I, it was just baffling. For me. I had disappointed or for the next couple of hours. It's like, when I'm over in England, whenever the game finishes, I can turn on uh, college football or something to just take my mind off everything. But there... I had five hours before the Penguins game that night where I was just wallowing in sadness for the fact that we'd lost to Brentford. So there was a whole number of reasons, and for that, I'm going for that. Hey, mate. Well, I wonder what Sarah's most disappointing moment of the season was. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Sarah is not... It's totally different woman. Totally different person. Do not connect right, what happened then to what happened a couple of days later. Do not do that. <laughs> okay, mate. I won't, I won't make that mistake. Don't worry. All right. There's multiple Yours. women. <laughs> yeah. Shut it, man. No, imagination on. is a wonderful thing, all right? <laughs> Isn't it just? Come on, Morgs. Most disappointed moment of the season. I'm going to go with the second half of Leeds away, simply because coming off the back uh, of the Brentford defeat at home, first game back after lockdown, going into it, that first half against them, we put in a really good performance and something happened at halftime and I'm guessing it was Bielsa going to his team. This is what they're doing and we can counter that by doing this, whereas Parker had gone in and said, we're doing well, keep going. In those 15 minutes at halftime, Parker got out th- out for uh, out thought uh, by a more experienced manager, and it was at that point where you know his job was teetering on the line, and it was such a disappointing second half because obviously losing to them meant that we were theoretically at the time out of the playoff picture, but. You know, just to sort of watch how we capitulated in that, and uh, you know, compared to the the, you know, the joy of going up, it was the sort of probably the biggest low because it was such a sort of like deflation after all the build up to sort of coming back after losing to Brentford as well. So I went with that as the most disappointing moment. Fair play, mate. And what about you, Matt Dom? Uh, for me, it's it's Brentford, but um, the opposite one to Baldwin. Uh, Brentford at home just after the restart um it was just shit i mean we'd all we'd all been suffering without football for months at this point uh the season had been called off on the day i think it was the day where we were actually going to play them first time around and finally it was back you know a, a win here would keep us in touch with the top 2 would keep brentford well below us in their place and then we get done late on um in a game really we probably edged it overall um Harrison Reed gets taken off and all of a sudden from the 88th minute they get two goals and uh, they're, they're suddenly a point behind us I think it put them at that point and then you know at that point there was, there was no sign as to what was about to happen in you know a month or six weeks down the line um so that kind of you know that that high that followed uh beating them at Wembley uh, combined with that the low points of Brentford and Leeds and just kind of just gives that feeling you get of supporting a club like ours where you, you can get that kind of fluctuation of emotions in a short time. Um, it all worked out in the end, but at that point, it just looked like it wasn't going to happen for us, I thought. That is the absolute beauty of football, though, isn't it? The highs and lows that can just switch like that. And that's that's why we love it. 
um, or one of the reasons why we love it anyway. All right, Stato, what about you, mate? So I've gone for the one-all draw at Millwall in February. So if we go back to Baldo's most disappointing moment, which is when we lost to Brentford away, that was on the 14th of December. And after we lost that game, it was 22 games were played. We were in sixth place on a plus nine goal difference. And we were 12 points behind second place Leeds and 14 points behind West Brom. We then went into the kind of the festive fixtures where it's a game every other day. And then we went through January and we had kind of managed to whistle away and kind of catch up with the top two. You know, West Brom and Leeds, they're dropping points. We were kind of being consistently okay. We were getting, you know, the odd win here and there and we were just chipping away. And then we, we came to this Millwall game midweek and it was in our hands. It was in our hands to overtake Leeds and to go into second place and to go into the automatic spots with 14 games left. This is before, you know, lockdown happened. So, you know, we, we were under the impression we were in February. There was a good two to three months of the season left. Big run in and it was our chance to be in the automatics and to try and have it in our own hands to, you know, get promoted. And it was just a very disappointing game, you know, from, we, we scored in the first minute, which was great. And then they scored a dodgy offside goal. I think we might have had a penalty claim disallowed or we might have had an offside call or something. And it was just a shit game on a shit night on a shit pitch. Uh, the state of the, uh, the pitch at Millwall, much discussed in the focus uh, in the focus groups for sure. So most disappointing moment of the season. These are the other um, items on the short list. Sheffield Wednesday away, having dominated them and conceding a late goal. Not going for it against West Brom so close towards the end of the season and almost playing for a draw. That could have cost us. Thankfully, it didn't in the end, but I think that annoyed a lot of us. Drawing away 0-0 at Charleston was just a dismal game on uh, on a Monday evening. Uh, Barnsley and Hull at home, two 3-0 defeats. Ridiculous. Terence Congolo's injury after one game away at Blackburn. The season being put on hold on March the 13th, when we were all going to meet up for the uh, the, uh, original uh, Brentford game. Not signing Michael Hector in time in August, losing our first game of the season. Marcus Bessinelli versus Stoke away. Marcus Bessinelli versus West Brom at home. Dave Nugent breaking his goal drought away at Preston. There's a lot of disappointing moments this season, aren't there? Three defeats in a row in December against Bristol City, Preston and Brentford. And also our defending away at Luton Town. The fact of the matter is, we got promoted. So who cares about any of those? But they all happened. And at the time, they annoyed us. All right, guys. So we're coming on to uh, another slightly negative one. We're coming on to best goals scored against us. Baldo, I'm going to come to you first for this one. Who scored the best goal against Fulham this season, in your opinion? Uh, Personally, I'm going for Jack Harrison of Leeds United. Uh, This was in the game up at Ellen Road after the restart, our second game. And it was just the fact that it would would just happen so quickly. I think I I looked at it earlier. It was four passes. It was Meslier to Ailing, Ailing to Hernandez, Hernandez... Hang on, Messier to Ailing, Ailing to Hernandez. It was three passes, and then Hernandez to Jack Harrison. Three passes from one end of the pitch to the other, and it was just brilliant. 
to watch. In fact, just quick counter-attacking football, something I'm sure we could only hope to emulate at some point in the season, but could never quite could never quite pull off. So, I mean, there were there was some suspect defending from Joe Bryan in the build-up for it, but personally, I just no, thought it was not a fantastic that. goal. Not having that suspect defender from Joe Bryan, no way. Yeah, I know. It, I, it stunned me as well. I, you never, you never would have expected it. I'll tell you what we needed. The real person we need on the pitch when Leeds are attacking is Stefan Johansson. Do you remember that tackle he put in a couple of years ago when we played him at the cottage? And I don't know, I don't know who it was. Yeah. It was probably about six feet Doesn't away matter. from him, but he just he just flew in at knee high and just completely took him out. And that's exactly what you need in those sort of situations. Good old Steph Joe. You've got to love him for that. All right, let's come on to you, Stato. What was your uh, your best goal that was scored against Fulham this season? I think the best goal that was scored against us uh, probably came from probably one of the best teams in the world at the moment, and that's Man City. Not, not Brentford. It, best best teams nope, in the world, not Brentford. No, 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 no Man City. Okay. Uh, Brentford wish they could be. <laughs> oh, we've uh, it, I've gone for their second goal, which was scored by Bernardo Silva, and. Out of all of their goals, it was three or four nil in the end. I can't quite. I think it was four. Um, none of the, none of the none of their other goals were particularly well scored. Obviously, there was the penalty at the beginning, and there's a tapping header, and there was one other. They were just pretty standard goals, and you know, if you if we were to just see those goals out of context, you'd have to wonder what the big deal is with Man City. But that second goal, it was a typical flowing passing move from City, holding on to possession. And they just wore defence down and they came out to Bernardo on the box and he, he managed to turn the defender onto his favourite left foot and it was just a great rocket past the past Rodak. And it's kind of a bit of a heads up of what we can expect in the Premier League next season. Obviously, it's Sissy, so they're the top end of the Premier League and these this, this is going to be one of the types of team where we're going to be under the cosh a bit. But you know, it was kind of interesting to see how we would play against a team like that under Parker. Obviously, we didn't get to see it because we got sent off. Um, but yeah, it's almost a almost a warning shot of what to expect next season. Oh, yeah, mate. Can't wait. Can't <laughs> wait. All right, Morgs, what about you, mate? Uh, so I have gone with Jacob Brown, uh, Barnsley's second goal in their 3-0 trouncing of us at the cottage. It was a pretty shithouse goal, but it was just glorious in how sort of like root one it was. And it was Corley Woodrow that won the ball back deep in their own half. He just slung it straight up, uh, straight up field. Jacob Brown runs onto it. Rodak shoots out of his goal like a headless chicken. And he just, from what, 35, 40 yards, probably 35, 40 yards, whatever. uh, He just gets his foot through it and it just dribbles into the goal. And, you know, it was just one of those goals that epitomised that day of football because it was so awful. Uh, but it was just something, it was, it was so glorious because Corley Woodrow set it up from, you know, a hoofed ball. Uh, and it was it was the best and it was the worst. But it was, just, it's, uh, yeah, it was something that stuck in the memory. Yeah, that was an absolute shocker from Marrett Road out that day. Baldo, did you have my season ticket that day? Was that you? Unfortunately, yes, I did. I was I was yeah. subjected to that poor performance. But I sat next to our friend John Shorb, so I made everything a lot better. Yeah, lucky you. <laughs> lucky you. <laughs> friend of the show. 
Yeah, that 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 was shocking from Rowe that, that day. He was at fault for all three goals, which was a shame for him because he's been amazing all season. One of our players of the season for sure. All right, Matt Don, what about you, mate? Well, I really wanted to go for uh, Dave Nugent with his superb back header against us at the cottage, but unfortunately that counted for us, so I can't go with that one. Um, so I've picked um, Lewis Graben. Uh, the first goal that he scored um, early on against us uh, when they also turned us over at the cottage. It was just a brilliant team goal. We've got, uh, I think Joe Lolly had come back from injury. He sort of drifted in from the left, played a couple of one-twos, pinged it out uh, to the left uh, the left wing. First time cross, Graben sticks it in at the far post and uh, just swift counter-attack and the sort of goal that we that I love to see, uh, I love to see us score more than other teams, but um, and the sort of goal we scored a lot of when uh, we went up last time under Slav. Um, not so much this season; it's different kind of football, but it was just attacking football at its best. Um, sadly, after that, they were they shit out us to death. But uh, but before that, they were looking pretty good in the fourth minute. Anyway, they really did. That was such a frustrating day. Um, I've gone for Jared Bowen, J-Mac's best mate, Jared, Jared, um, for Hull. Um, just before we left and signed for West Ham, there was a good through ball. And um, and he just turned Mawson, Alfie Mawson, inside out and finished across Bettinelli, who was who was back in goal that day. I think um, Rodat was um, serving his suspension after being sent off against Middlesbrough from memory. Um, that was that was the second goal that day, and then they added a third uh, in injury time, which was an even more embarrassing goal, to be honest, which trickled in over the line. That was just a, a really bad day at the office for us. But yeah, that it, it was a good goal, and if um, if one of our players had scored that goal, the way that he turned Mawson and just kind of left him spinning on the spot was, you know, we, we'd have been really excited if one of our players had scored that. So yeah, fair play to him for that. All right, I think we're coming on to our... Best away win of the season. And I will come to you first, Morgs, for that one. So for this, I have gone for Nottingham Forest because that was one of those games where we were playing a team who at the time were in form. Uh, little did we know that they would absolutely um, shit the bed after that. Uh, but the the performance there, it was so solid and it was such a, you know, obviously a well-timed goal just before half-time. Great finish by Arta. Um, and we put in such a solid defensive display against a team who, you know, they, they were at the time with the king of 1-0s. They knew how to hold on to a lead and we did exactly the same to them. And it was, off, you know, we'd won a couple of games since the opening sort of two defeats post uh, post restart. But there was just something about that one that really um, solidified our position within the playoffs, um, even if it weren't to be automatic. So I thought the way they went about that game was just, it was incredibly professional and it was Parker's game plan done right. And it may not be exciting. It may not inspire us to, you know, watch hours and hours of footage, but it was incredibly effective. And so I thought it was just, uh, it was one of those games that I was uh, very impressed by. Yeah, good stuff, mate. What about you, Matt, Dom? Uh, this one won't live too long in the, in the memory bank, but it's just about still there. So I'll, I'll bring it up now. Um, Holloway in, I think it was January. Um, they were they were playing well, looking good. This was before their um, somewhat severe drop all the way down 
all the way down the table um, in the second half of the season. And it, it was an important game because at the time we had just lost to Reading. Um, we were in danger of being caught by the teams behind us, sitting just just sort of fifth or something like that on the edge of the playoffs. Uh, Hull themselves, if they'd have beaten us, would have gone level on points with us. So it was kind of squeaky bum time for Scott Parker, really. Um, we, all of a sudden, you might have a load of teams overtaking you and you find yourself mid-table. So it was really important to win that game. And it was a far from brilliant performance. I mean, to be honest, the game was was quite terrible, but we showed a level of grit and determination that previously might have might have been missing and we might have ended up not winning it. But um, a moment of quality from Cavalera with a lovely goal to win it for us. Uh, I think our only shot on target in the end, but a scrappy win, an important win, and it, it just kind of let, paved the way really for the sort of games we were going to win uh, as we went through the season, uh, not playing at our best all the time, but picking up those points. That's mad that if they'd have won that game, they'd have been on level points with us because they ended up getting relegated. But they bottom in the end. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Bottom. yeah. Bloody they, hell. They got, they got something like six points after that all season. Right. Yeah. But once they saw uh, Bowen, I mean, that was kind of, that was it. Yeah. And we were kind of think the player doesn't make a team. But I mean, in that case, I think they also incredibly badly run from looking at some of the stuff on uh, Twitter and whatnot. And I think um, their chairman has a lot to answer for as well up there. But yeah, not a good, not a good end of season for them. Careful what you wish for, eh? All right, let's let's move on. Let's move on. I'm going to come to you, Stato, next for your your best away win of the season. I've gone for the Swansea game back in November, and to Swansea's credit, they were fantastic that day and they played us off the park. I mean, and they were bitty. Un- I think in the end, they were bitterly unlucky to miss out on the playoff final. Um, and you know they're quite a well-run club, and yeah, there's nothing bad against them, and yeah, they were great against us. But it's the fact that we managed to beat them still. And I remember the game so well, and it was also kind of the first game where I think Malik Rodak cemented his place as the number one. Before that, he was kind of playing more than Betts, and there's a bit of you know, uncertainty there that, you know, Betts wasn't playing great. So, you know, that's the only reason Rodak's coming in because, you know, Betts is so out of form. But really, it was a fact that Rodak is just so much better than him. And he, you know, this performance really showed that some of the saves he pulled off were just unbelievable. And, you know, we went 2 0 up at half time, Mitrovic with a nice header from a Kamara cross. And the second one, which is from, I don't even remember, from Onoma just kind of scuffing his shot. So it just kind of fell to Mitrovic and it was more or less an open goal. And yeah, it was kind of also the first sort of, you know, a typical Parker dogged performance where we can kind of dig in, we can get we can get the goals and we can kind of just defend that lead and see out a win. And, you know, that's kind of one of the first examples of that. I think Swansea was second at the time as well, weren't they? So we were quite nervous going into that. That's my memory of it. They were sixth at the time, and we were third. Were they? But they, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they, they, they were up there in the playoffs. So you know, they, they, you know, they were a decent team, and you know, won that. You know, it was a good game. It was a good game of football. As I said, I think Swansea was sixth at the time, weren't they? So I was quite nervous going into that. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> my memory's not so good. I'm, I'm getting on. I'm nearly 40. Let's, let's move on. I'm going I'm to move on to my uh, my favourite away win of the season. And I'm going to go back to early February 
And I'm going to go to Blackburn. Blackburn were unbeaten at home all season. And, and Joe Bryan set up Mitro for a, a goal midway through the second half. And it was Mitro's 20th goal of the season. And the 1-0 victory moved us on to equal points with Leeds that day on, on 55 points after 31 games. Leeds did have a game in hand, but they did lose later on that day away at Nottingham Forest, which um, I remember just I, I remember watching that game in my local pub and, and shouting at the TV when Forest scored a, a, a late goal in that one. So that, that, was, a, that was a good day. And um, it's, it's always nice to win at Blackburn because, um, I don't know, I know Graham Souness won't care, but I always associate Blackburn, Blackburn with Graham Souness. And um, that, that game when Sean Davis um, scored against Blackburn, in 2001 to, to all but give us the title. So, yeah, that that, that was great. Um, who have we got left? Who hasn't gone yet? Baldo. Me. Um, I don't blame for forgetting me. I don't blame it. Um, I'm going for Cardiff um, in the playoffs just because not only the fact that it was the playoffs, but everything that sort of went in around it because there were a lot of nerves going, in, going into that game because we'd just come off not exactly the greatest of performances, against Wigan the couple of days beforehand. Cardiff were on a good a good run of form. And we know that their style of play, even though it's a Neil Harris thing, and as Morgan mentioned earlier, we always beat a Neil Harris team. They'd sort of sorted themselves out. And we know that if you know styles of play, Cardiff and Fulham, polar opposites, it could contrast and could they could, you know, quote unquote, shit out their way to victory, which they then went and showed in the second leg, they can disrupt things if they need to. So I think the fact that we managed to go there and take such a commanding lead in the playoffs, you know, Cabano's free kick late on to give us, um, you know, to, to seal the, to seal the victory as it was, fantastic, just a brilliant all-round performance. I don't think I was really worried at many points during the game that we were go- that we were going to um, that we were going to lose. And so yeah, I, I'm going for that one. Dickhead. Uh, sorry, mate. Dickhead of the season. Sorry, I'm, I'm that. sorry. <laughs> Dickhead of the season is the next category. Go on, Baldo. <laughs> you had me worried then. Yeah, dickhead of the season. Come on, mate. <laughs> Again. Go on, mate. Dickhead of the season. Well, hang on. Are we, are we, are we asking? Are we asking what the dickhead of the season has to say next, or? Oh, <laughs> and a word from our winner. I, to, I, I could have been washing my hair this evening. I had to take part in this. Didn't keep, I? The spe- keep the speech short. Oh well. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, my dickhead—it's it, a plural thing for me. The dickheads of the season basically goes to every single member of the mainstream media, or well, the media in general, that were too busy wanking themselves into an early grave over the idea of Brentford getting promoted um getting promoted in the playoff final with just all, all the history surrounding griffin park and all oh, with their final season why don't they finish their final season with a promotion to the premier league and they can open their brand new stadium with a game against chelsea in the premier league and all that stuff and natalie sawyer going on about the history of brentford as if they fucking have any um just and the fact that no one wanted to talk about us apart from one person, and that was Dave Kidd of The Sun. And I applaud you, sir. But every single other member of the of the media that were just fawning over Brentford getting promoted over the idea of us, they get it collectively, the lot of them. And I say this as a member of the media, so it's kind of taking a stick of my own people, but they deserved it. All right, Stato, what about you, mate? Dickhead of the season. Uh, my dickhead of the season goes to 
an individual, uh, a goalkeeper for Nottingham Forest called Samba Bryce, who, when we lost against him at the cottage, you may remember he took the piss with his time wasting. Um, I guess as a as a goalkeeper myself, I almost respect him for that because you know time wasting mm-hmm. by doing the smallest of things like going to the floor, walking for a goal kick. You know, it's it's ultimate shit housery. But the fact it was against us and the fact we lost against them and. He put a tweet out afterwards, and I'm looking through his Twitter now, but I can't seem to find it. So I think he might have deleted it or something. Um, it just I do, hang yeah. on, Arthur. Arthur, I do know for a fact that in his Twitter bio, he he did have for a while. I don't know if he still does. He has King of, and then the shit emoji, and then the house emoji. So he is well aware of this fact. So he, he put it go. on his profile. He's put it on his profile. Yeah, it just uh, it was just annoying because it was Forest and wants to beat them. Um, however, we all know what happens to Forest next at the end of the season. So, you know, who's laughing now? Yeah, it really worked out well for them, didn't it? I've, I'd forgotten about that, but good. I'm glad that really worked out for them. And they, they just really shit out of luck, luck on the last day of the season. Good. All right, I'm going to come to you, Dom. Your dickhead of the season award. Uh, Neil Harris. They've celebrated like they won the game. He corrected himself, obviously he meant tie, but you know, we're not allowed to celebrate winning games anymore, apparently, according to this wanker. I mean, his whole his whole bitter rant, you know, we gotta defend better, gotta defend better. All, all that kind of bollocks. No, give give Onima some credit. He just scored an absolute peach against you. So so shut up for a minute. And you know, he just came across as an as Neil Warnock in training, didn't he? It was just he he just couldn't bear to give us credit for that second half which was superb we played them off the park and we did win the tie in that half because as it showed as it turned out to his credit they did everything they could against us in the second leg but it was the two the two nil win in the first leg that did it for us so we had one tie at that point nil go back go back to cardiff and uh try again mate next year yeah yeah good luck to him next season in the championship that's what i say I'm going to go for one of our own, actually. I'm going to go for Dennis Adoy. Um, I'm going to go for Dennis Adoy because he got sent off at Preston. And it was the second of a three-match losing run in December for us. We lost 2-1, 26 minutes in, and Dennis Adoy launches himself into Patrick Bauer. Clear red card. Absolutely idiotic um, move from him. And you know what Dennis Adoy is like. We get one of these from him every now and then. Dave Nugent scored in that game for the first time in forever to make it 2-0 after half-time for Preston, despite Preston being down to 10 men at that point because Joe Rafferty was sent off and Mitrovic scored late on. But we ended up losing and, yeah, it was just a, a stupid move from Dennis. It's, I, I love Dennis Adoy, but he can be quite frustrating at times. Um, other, other Fulham notable dickheads of the season, Marek Rodak versus Middlesbrough. Um, I think it was his second game when he got sent off. Um, Harry Arter, just generally, no, but, but for his red, his, his red card against Cardiff uh, in August. Um, Dave Nugent, as Don mentioned earlier on in uh, in the pod for his own goal. We've mentioned this one already as well, but Marek Rodek for, for his performance against Barnsley for being at fault for all three goals. Um, Jed Wallace for his penalty miss for Millwall. When um, when he he blasted it over the bar, which was lovely, but what a dickhead! And also the same game, the linesman at Millwall way for allowing their equaliser to stand, because the bloke was well offside. 
So, yeah, lots of dickheads to talk about this season, as there always will be, and as there always should be. All right, uh, we'll move on to the next category then. We're going to go for biggest transformation from zero to hero. And I'm going to come to you, Baldo, for this one. Uh, my nomination for this, and I've mentioned this on, on the podcast, and I think it's a pretty obvious one. It's Josh Onema. You know, you look at the performance. I can't remember which one it was exactly, but it was a Friday night away from home. It was either Huddersfield or Swansea, but he was absolutely shocking. In It may, it may even have been both of those games because he wasn't exactly great at the start of the season. Uh, but the fact that he's put himself into arguably one of the first couple of names on the team sheet, you know, it's probably... It's probably Reed first and then Onoma. And probably Mitrovic is in there as well. He's in the top five. Anyway, he's in the top 11. Anyway, um, yeah. Josh Onoma, just the way he's transformed himself. And yeah, if we were, if he was on loan with us, um, I think I don't think we'd be getting him back next season just because of the poor performances he put in. He'd be knocking on the door at Spurs. So thankfully, we've managed to keep hold of him. And I, and I assume he'll play a major role in what we're doing next season. And, you know, credit to either it's him for getting his head down, if it's Scott Parker for showing faith in him, or if it's a combination of the two, or maybe it was just luck. But I think Odomer's transformation this season has been, quite frankly, incredible. Couldn't agree more, mate. And to come uh, to, to more about Josh Odomer, let's come to Stato. Yeah, so um, I originally said Odomer as well, and just to echo a lot of what... Baldwin said, you know, at the start of the season, I didn't think much of this signing at all. Um, looking at his career history, he was at Sheffield Wednesday in 2018-19. He only made 15 appearances. Before that, he was at Villa on loan. And he was kind of a bit of this loan championship merchant. And I felt that we only got him because, you know, Sess went to Spurs for 30 million. And I think that just kind of through Onomo at us as well, as you know, a little bonus as well, because they kind of wanted to offload him on the books. But, you know, little did we know that, you know, Parker, you know, he was a coach at Spurs for the under-18s and he clearly saw something in Onomo. It's kind of taken, you know, the best part of half a season for Onomo to kind of truly unlock his potential. And, you know, particularly after the lockdown, he has just been unbelievable and and a great player as well. Um, I think I'll also have an honourable mention for Harrison Reed as well. Before the lockdown, he was just injury-prone midfielder. He put in the odd good performance here and there, but you know, no one was kind of raving about how good he is. And he's come back after lockdown, and he is just the best defensive midfielder we, we've had since you know a fully fit Kevin McDonald. And we just need to pray that we get him on a permanent now. Yes, mate. Agree. Couldn't agree more. All right. Uh, Morgs, your uh, biggest transformation from zero to hero. So I think, you know, when I was looking at all this, there was only one person who could really sort of you know, fill this slot, as it were. Uh, that's Scott Parker. And he came into this job on the back of, you know, the disappointing end of the last season. He was, you know, thrust into it because who else would want that particular role at the time um and personally and i know obviously there are a lot of other people i wasn't convinced that he was the right man for a job uh, for the job and you know even though we were there or thereabouts in the playoff picture there was nothing to you know convince me that this was a team that a deserved to go up or b had the ability to go up 
but and then once uh, you know, obviously went into lockdown and came back from lockdown, lost those first two games. I just I was not, you know, I just certainly was not convinced. And then it started changing, and his style of football kind of started gelling. And I, I mentioned in uh, an article the other day, I think the um, final review that. Perhaps the behind-closed-doors nature of these games uh, was actually very good for his style of football because it allowed the players to be patient without having the uh, the noise from the crowd sort of getting into them and sort of convincing them that maybe they're not doing the right thing. And then come uh, the Cardiff first leg, winning that game, it sort of, I believe that at that point, he got it completely right. And I think he's got a very good future in the game as long as he keeps learning and keeps studying and he learns from other managers around him because he clearly has the respect from the players. And I think he needs to sort of go on to the next step and go, right, okay, I've got this, I've got this bit sorted. Now I just need to sort of mature my tactics and all that. So I think from the point of looking like he was going to get sacked after the Leeds game to the point of getting us promoted, I don't think you can get a bigger transformation than that. Yeah, fair enough. I'm going to go for something much more simple and quicker than that. I'm going to say the Fulham <laughs> defence. No, no, fine, fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say the Fulham defence. I think our defence has looked suspect for so long. Bringing in Michael Hector has really solidified things at the back and made us look uh, quite difficult to, to score against. So I'm just going to leave it there and say that the, the biggest transformation from zero to hero this season has been our defence after um, Michael Hector came in in January. Dom, what about you, mate? Um, for me, it's it's Tim Ream. Uh, Man City, FA Cup, I think it was in January, early red card. <laughs> I'm sure you, you guys will remember the several meltdowns we had in the WhatsApp group after that. Um you know, he's had it. He's never going to play for us again. I'd be amazed if he makes another appearance for us all season. It's the end of his Fulham career. And people were saying it online as well. And what actually happened was he served his suspension, went straight back into the team and played every game. Uh, I, I think every game since then, he played more minutes than any other player this season. And towards the end, he, he was looking much like his old self as well. He had, he had a really strong finish to the season. So... Um, he's proved a lot of people wrong there. So, uh, well done, Tim. Okay. Um, I'm going to come on to a, a strange one now because Scott Parker has divided opinion over the, the course of the season. And um, a lot of people didn't want him in the first place. And a lot of people wanted him out across the course of the season. But we stuck with him and he ended up getting us promoted. So I'm going to say to you, at what point does Scott Parker win you over, assuming that he has won you over? I'm going to come to you first, Stato, with this. I have to question any Fulham fan now who hasn't been won over by Scott Parker at this point. And I have no, you know, I can safely admit that it took me quite late for me to kind of admit that, you know, Parker was the one for us. And it was the card of second leg because... Throughout the season, we've been putting in a lot of uncertain performances. And even after lockdown, you know, we lost back-to-back against Leeds and Brentford. And, yeah, you know, we went on an amazing winning, one, winning run after that. But, you know, there's still kind of that 
uncertainty that we weren't fulfilling our potential. And it wasn't until we got to the playoff final that, you know, made me realise that, you know, finally at last, the players, Parker, uh, the tactics are all finally fully aligned and we have this playing style where we can grind out results and it's, I'm fully on board with them now and I, you know, I fully have faith in them in the Premier League and, you know, it's why when we got to the final, yes, I was nervous like all of us were, but at the same time, we kind of had this confidence that we're going to win because Parker knows what he's doing. He learns from his mistakes, which he has done all season and, you know, there was, it was kind of from that point after the final whistle against Cardiff that you know I was fully on board with Parker. Yeah, good. I, I was I was on board with Scott Parker from the end of last season. I liked the way that he turned the, the club around, and I just from from going to the games, I, I felt like the players were with him. And all right, it's, it's easy to start winning games once you've already been relegated. And that's that's what we started doing in the Premier League. And you, you don't really know how much of that is down to the pressure being off and how much of that is down to the fact that the manager is actually doing something positive in training or whatever. But I, ju- I just always felt this season like whenever we, we'd lose a game and then we'd win a couple. And I thought that was all right. We, we won enough games this season to keep me interested, although the football at times wasn't brilliant. Um, so, so, yeah, I was never I was never really against him, to be honest. All right. What about you, Matt Dom? Yeah, for me, it was, um, I mean, I, I think like most of us, a lot of us, I was in the same the same boat. Um, and my thing was, I, I didn't think he was the right choice for a manager to get us back up with this kind of one-shot season, if you like. Um, but it was kind of towards, as we were edging towards the playoffs and we beat Forest away, which at the time... We all thought it was kind of a dress, a dress rehearsal for who we would face in the playoffs. This was before before they dramatically fell down and, and out of it. Um, but there was it was a really good away performance where it was just a professional 1-0 win, the sort of win that you could see would serve you really well in the playoffs. Um, and it was from that point I, I started saying, you can see what he's doing here. Uh, he's improved a lot as a manager this season. Even if we don't go up, I think we need to stick with him because we can all see the effect he's having. And, you know, the results were starting to happen at that point. And as it turns out, it was just the right kind of football that was going to win us the playoffs. Um, He got us back up at the first time of asking, which is an immense achievement and something that not many people have done. So full credit to Scott. Morse, coming to you next, mate. So I've gone... uh... The one game turned around for me, that was the Cardiff first leg again. He had one job to do this season in the eyes of the Khans and probably the eyes of the fans as well, and that was to get us promoted. That was the first game that I thought that this is definitely going to happen. So I would say before then, I was questioning if we could do it. After that, I thought, actually, you know what? What he's doing is working. The players love him. The tactics aren't always perfect but they are getting there. So I think it was at that point that I, uh, maybe somewhat belatedly or maybe somewhat early, depending if you would uh, think about it, but I think that's when he won me over. Fair play, mate. And Baldo, what about you, mate? Uh, For me, he didn't officially win me over until uh, the final whistle against Brentford. Because if you look at it, if we'd have lost that game, 
then all the criticism that you could have labelled upon him, you know, not going for it against West Brom, not knowing his best sides early in the season, losing twice to Barnsley, all that stuff would very easily, could very easily have gone back onto him. The fact that, you know, we played Brentford for the third time and he still hasn't worked out how to play and beaten them. So if we'd lost that final, Scott Parker would probably, you know, jury's out on him whether or not he comes back next season. So I think for me, it was it wasn't until then that I thought, yep, he's the right man. He left it late, but I'm glad he did. Good man. Yeah, agree with you. Yeah, very, very much so. All right, we're coming to the last category now, and we're getting very near the end of the, the show. So I'm gonna ask you to keep this really brief, but I'm gonna to come to you all and ask you for your player of the season this season. I'm going to come to you first, Stato. Who's your player of the season, mate? I've gone for Michael Hector. He came in and changed our defence for the better and, yeah, was kind of the the heart of our defence and helped us get promotion. Very difficult to disagree with you, mate. But I'm going to. I'm going to say Alexander Mitrovic for his 26 goals. He was just immense up front for us all season. And that's that's all I've got to say about it. You know, you, I, I could sit here and talk about Mitro all day and everybody's watched him all season. Everybody knows what he's capable of. Everybody knows what he does. So I'm going to say Mitro. And I'd be surprised if the uh, the official award didn't go to him after after he got the golden boot. Uh, Baldo, who have you gone for, mate? Uh, for all the reasons that I said on uh, that I said earlier, I'm going for Josh Onoma, personally. Absolute, you know, Harry Reid may get most applause, but I, I think it's just been Josh Onema. Just and more for the fact that we've got him now for, you know, arguably maybe the next decade if if we can. The fact that he's so young is every, every it's, he's just fantastic. So yeah, I give it to him. Yeah, what a player he's been for us this season, uh, Matt Dom. Who for you, mate? Uh, yeah, another vote for Mitro here. Um, as you say, twenty six goals. It's 26 goals, but it's it's also 26 goals in a relatively low-scoring team if you if you compare it to the likes of Brentford, who had the second-highest scorer, but a lot more goals. Uh, for a long time, he was the only one scoring for us. Um, he dragged us through with some, some big goals in big games to win points for us, so I, I can't give it to anyone else. Fair enough. And then the last word goes to Morgs. Who's your player of the season, mate? Much like you too. Three and out for Mitro. I mean, without him, it's just we wouldn't have got promoted. Simple as that. He wasn't a, he didn't play well in every game, but then find me a poacher who doesn't, uh, he does play well in every game. So what he did over the course of the season was special for, you know, any player to score that many goals in the league. So I think, you know, it can't, whilst, you know, there may have been better performing players without a striker who bangs in goals, you don't get promoted. And Mitro did exactly what his job was, and that was put the ball in the back of the net. Perfect, mate, perfect. Well, great stuff, lads. Thanks as ever to all of you for joining me. If you've enjoyed listening at home, why not tweet us what you would have picked at Fulham underscore focus. We'll be back next week for Danny Boy's big fat quiz of the season. So until then, enjoy the rest of your week and speak to you soon. But for now, J-Mac, are you there? Oh, hello. Right. It seems Sky Sports wants Brentford FC to be promoted. At least show a bit of neutrality, English press getting worse by the day. I'm not sure, let's have a look. Championship playoff final. 
Fulham fear Brentford, says Emiliano Marcondes. If all goes well tomorrow and Brentford end up winning, Wembley will be our toughest game in years. Scott Parker will have to be on point tactically. Brentford's movement in between the lines is as good as any Prem team. It could do with it being 7.45 now, or 10pm with the trophy in hand. When I tell you Brentford are going to roll over teams next season if they're promoted, a lot of the big six teams need to be worried. Up the football league we go, when we get promoted, this is what we'll sing. We are Barmy Brentford Army, Thomas Frank is king. Leeds, Brentford, Premier League football next season. Brentford are probably the smartest and best run football club in Britain. When asked if the BMW strike for will remain at Brentford beyond the summer, Thomas Frank with a smile replied, yes, because we are going to be in the Premier League. Brentford's BMW gets the most limelight, but where would they be without Golden Glove winner David Raya? Brentford said Ben Rama looks likely to be playing in the Premier League next season, but he hopes that it's with the bees. Ben Rama deserves to play in the EPL next season. Think our fans are becoming a bit obsessed with Ben Rama when he literally could be a Premier League player by the end of the night. BBC Sport. Griffin Park. Can Brentford give ground perfect send-off by winning promotion to the Premier League? Silk and Steel, The Guardian. How Thomas Frank gave Brentford reason to dream big. Danny Higginbotham. Brentford's BMW will drive them to the championship playoff final win over Fulham. Bees TV. Fulham haven't beat Brentford since November 2016. Crying emoji, bee emoji. And even then, they hadn't beat us since August 2014 in the League Cup before that. Hashtag, who's tin pot now? Joe Bryan, what do you think? We've been written off five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. I think I even read somewhere that we were supposed to be scared of him, but we took it to him. That's my boy. We did it. The whites are going up.